This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When it says in Psalm 73:18, Psalm 73:18, surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors? It all started out like there was not going to be any last day. There was nothing in, in, in sight that was expected. It all started out. There's not going to be any loss, great loss on this day. But it all came as a great surprise. A great surprise. And that's why this chapter could be called the great surprise. Because that's what makes this so relevant. Because Everybody's going to come to their last day on earth. Everyone's going to experience this great loss on one day, and it's all going to come as a great surprise. And that's why this chapter could also be entitled, because so far the descriptions I've given are pretty depressing. They're pretty down. Last day, great loss, great surprise. But one more title that this chapter could have, and this is the title of encouragement, The Great Lighthouse. The Great Lighthouse. Like a lighthouse warns of hidden dangers of rocks below the surface of water or just on the shore that can't be seen. It warns of the danger of losing everything in one day. And the worst of all is what we just read in Luke 9.25, what is a man advantaged if he shall gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? That's a very interesting word. That one's in Luke 9.25, a little different from the last one in Mark. Luke 9.25, the word advantage speaks to what's the real treasure? What's the real treasure to gain in life? The Lord Jesus Christ sums up all that's available, all that is available from a horizontal look at life. And he calls everything that can be seen on a horizontal level, gain the whole world. And that's King Belshazzar. He pretty much gained the whole world. And it advantaged him nothing. The whole world was of no benefit to him on his last day. The whole world was of no benefit to him on the great loss, on the great surprise. 
But we're told what is, the Bible does tell us what is the great treasure in life. And it's not from the horizontal. It's from the vertical in Philippians 3.7, Philippians 3.7. But what things were gained to me, that's the horizontal, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Christ is the vertical. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, horizontal, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, vertical, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, horizontal, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, vertical, and be found in him, and not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, this is where he's directing himself, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. The great treasure in life is Philippians 3.8. It's called an excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. To know the Lord Jesus Christ as a friend, as a personal friend, is the most excellent treasure that a person can have in life. And it's so important that Paul says, I'm gonna win that in Philippians 3.8, that I may win Christ. The win, the, the, and he means that I may gain this, that I may, I'm gonna work to develop this friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, this intimate knowledge, intimate knowledge of a friendship that comes from a close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, comes from a daily trusting in him, comes from a daily surrendering to him, comes from a continual submission of our will to his will. That's our work, that's what we do. That's how we gain, that's how we win this excellent treasure of the Philippians 3.8, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. It's hard work, it is. It's hard work to trust in him with all the heart. It's work to not lean to our own understanding. It's work to continually submit our will to his will. Now, as far as what we see with, with Belshazzar here, with Belshazzar, this is pretty much the end of a great life experiment. A great life experiment. As I mentioned, King Belshazzar here is, is, it says father, but the way the Hebrew reads, it could be father, grandfather. In fact, it was, Nebuchadnezzar was the grandfather of Belshazzar. Belshazzar was the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Belshazzar knew very well the history of Nebuchadnezzar, which is what the first five chapters in this book is all about. Belshazzar knew how Nebuchadnezzar had come to see that there's only one Lord God Almighty, not these idols. And Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel 2.47, Daniel 2.47, the king, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, the king answered and said unto Daniel, of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings. Belshazzar knew that. He knew how Nebuchadnezzar had his own conversion experience. He knew how Nebuchadnezzar had exalted himself in pride and walked around his palace and said, this is all what I have done. This is all for the honor of my majesty. And he was swelling in pride. And he knew how God said, that's it, that's enough. And he brought Nebuchadnezzar down to a point, an unbelievable point, where for, for years, Nebuchadnezzar was on all fours, naked out in a pasture land in a forest, being wet with the dew, 
making noises like an animal and eating grass like an ox. And at the end of that time, Nebuchadnezzar was revived. And it says in Daniel 4.34, Daniel 4.34, at the end of the, this is him speaking, Nebuchadnezzar writes this, at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. Mine understanding returned to me. I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he that doeth, he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And there is none that can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? At the same time, Nebuchadnezzar wrote, at the same time my reason returned unto me for the glory of my kingdom. Mine honor and brightness returned to me. My counselors, my Lord, sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Belshazzar knew all that. He was the grandson of this man who had this experience. He was the grandson of this man who wrote these things. He was the grandson of the man who, when he wrote this, made this was in the form of a declaration to the whole world. And at that point, Belshazzar had a point, a decision to make. He was in a fork in the road. He could either go the way of Nebuchadnezzar and say, I will walk in the ways of my grandfather, I also will praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. He could have done that, or he could have said, no, I'll go my way. I'll be one of those all we like sheep have gone our own way. That's what I'm going to do, and that's what he did. He chose to go not in the way of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And even though this dramatic history of what happened to his grandfather, and it wasn't just that, with the becoming like an animal, it was, it was the history of seeing the Son of God walking with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace and not, them not being harmed. He, he saw all of that, he knew that all, but he said, no, I will have a grand experiment in life. My experiment in life will be, I will prove, I will set out to prove that you can have a wonderful life without God and that's the grand experiment that so many tragically are taking today in their life. I saw this transformation when I was in Europe as a high school kid in the 1960s. Europe had just come off the heels, well, that wasn't just, but they had come off the heels of World War II. And as it was said then, God was knocked out of them. And they raised up their head with Nietzsche, with the God is dead, and with Sartre and Camus with uh, existentialism, which was all the beginning of a grand experiment of life without God. And then when I returned to Europe in the 1980s, 1990s, a believer, and began to tell the, my European business friends about the Lord Jesus Christ, because they were in that grand experiment of life without God, they looked at me and they said, you need psychological help. They really thought I was crazy. This is a grand experiment in building a life without God, and building a society without God, and a culture without God. This wasn't new, Belshazzar did this. Thousands of years before, he chose to live this life of independence of God. He chose to make a great name for himself, to build up his own reputation, instead of building up and magnifying the name of the Lord God Almighty. He sought to build up his own reputation 
instead of building up the glory of God. He chose to make this life be consisting of the abundance of things which he possesses instead of making his life to be the abundance of doing the will of God. And this was his grand experiment. His experiment was, I'm going to prove that if I harden my heart against God, that I can prosper. And the Bible says, don't bother with that experiment because I'll tell you right now, King Solomon says, I'll tell you right now what the results of that experiment's gonna be in Proverbs 28, 14. Proverbs 28, 14. He that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. So the king turns to his ways of without God, and then when trouble comes, he turns to the ones that he has relied on, the deceivers, the astrologers, the workers of black magic, and he makes a great offer to them of riches and position and power. Be the third ruler in the land. By the way, you might read that and you say, why the third ruler? Why couldn't they be the second ruler? Well, the reason is, is because Belshazzar's father was actually still alive and he decided to go live in an oasis down in Saudi Arabia. I don't blame him. Anyway, he was the first ruler there and Belshazzar, his son, was the second ruler. So the best that Belshazzar could do was to make someone a third ruler in the land, which is what he was offering. And even with this, this great offer, the deceivers, they tried, and their results are in verse eight. They, they, it says they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. And so just at the time of the greatest need in this king's life, they failed him. They failed him. And in his desperation, it rose, it, it caused him to come up to a new level of confusion. He didn't know what to do. It says in verse 9, he turned pale, his countenance was changed. He says the people around him were astonished to look at him. And now we have a new character that comes in. She's called the queen. Actually, she was the queen mother. She was his mother in verse 10. It says, now the queen, or the queen mother, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. Literally, it's the house of drinking, the drinking house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. And now she speaks. There's a man. There's a man in your kingdom, right under your nose, she was saying. He's got a great spirit in there. He's got light and understanding. And she emphasizes to him, in the days of thy father, thy grandfather, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods, and she emphasizes your grandfather, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, grandfather, the king. I say, thy father. Do you know how many times she said that? Three times she's emphasized to him. And every time she emphasizes to him, she's like saying to him, you should have gone the way of your grandfather. You should have done that. He's your grandfather. And he recognized the God of Israel. And he exalted Daniel and made him in charge of all these other people. And so she directs him. It hurts her that she sees her son in this state. And she steps in to help. You know, she's a picture for us. She's an example for us. She went in to help it. We should be on the lookout in life like she was for lost souls who are in great distress and great danger. And we should be the ones to rush in to help the helpless like she did. And the first thing that she did was to assure the king, I've got your best interests in heart. She says to him, king, live forever. I want you to have eternal life, king. 
And it pained her to see him so tormented in thoughts, as she said in verse 10, let not thy thoughts trouble thee, let not thy countenance be changed. What she said there, if we just take it and just, just kind of bring it over into our lives, she was telling us the basis for bringing the gospel to a lost person. The basis for bringing the gospel to a lost person is care for that person. There has got to be a compassionate love for a lost person as a basis for bringing the gospel to that person. There's got to be a care where we want to see that lost soul live forever in heaven. Just like she said, oh, King, live forever. Not to be tormented for eternity in hell. And that's what we see in the heart of this queen mother as she speaks of the king. And now the queen mother sets out to help her king, her son, the king, and, and she says, there is a man, there is a man. That's her message. It's all about this man. It's all about Daniel, a very unusual man, a man that has abilities beyond all others. That's our message as the gospel. There is a man. That's the gospel message. That's the glorious gospel message. There is a man who is God in the form of a man. John 1.14 the word, John 1:14. the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2.6, Philippians 2.6, there is a man who is God who has become a man. Philippians 2.6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The glorious message of the gospel is that there is a man who is the light of the world. This is what the queen mother was telling the, the King Belshazzar. There's a man who has light and understanding. The glorious message of the gospel is that there is a man who is the light of the world. John 1.9, John 1.9, the Lord Jesus is described as that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The message of the gospel is that, just as she said, there's a very unusual man there, the message of the gospel is there's a very unusual man who never sinned. 1 Peter 2.22, 1 Peter 2.22, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. The great message of the gospel is there is a man who laid down his life for the ransom of for the sin, for the sin of others. Matthew 20, verse 28, Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This is what the gospel is all about. There is, it's a, there, it is a, there is a man gospel. There is a man who suffered and died for our sins. Isaiah 53, 5, Isaiah 53, 5. This man was wounded for our transgressions. This man was bruised for our iniquities. This man caused us to be healed by his stripes. And the problem in Isaiah 53, 6 is that us, all we like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We all went the Belshazzar way. We went the no thank you to God, I'll do it myself, I don't need. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And it was when the Lord stepped in, the Lord hath laid on him, on this man, the iniquity of us all. 1 Corinthians 15.3. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, Christ died for our sins according to the gospel, uh, scripture, according to the scriptures. 
The glorious message of the gospel is that there is a man who has such an ability that he can save every sinner that comes to him. He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, but uh, the bus is full. He doesn't say, I can't guarantee I can keep my, keep my hold on you. No. Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews 7.25 says, this man, he is able to also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The great message of the gospel is there is a man who has brought many out of the realms of darkness into heaven. He's led them, he's brought them. It says in Hebrews 2.10, Hebrews 2.10, it became him and for him are all things and by him are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. This is the glorious message of the gospel. There's a man, there's a man who can do what we can never do. He can wash away our sins. Revelation 1.5, Revelation 1.5, Jesus Christ loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. There's a man, when John the Baptist was out there and he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he said in John 1.29, he was talking about there is a man and John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith in John 1.29, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. There is a man who became a lamb and took away the sin of the world. That's the man. This is a man who in the Bible is worthy of all worship. In Revelation 5.12, Revelation 5.12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. In Revelation 11.15, Revelation 11.15, the seventh angel sounded, there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. There's a man who is going to reign over the kingdoms, and he's going to reign forever and ever. And this is what the, the queen mother was telling Belshazzar when she said, there is a man. Think about how astounding that phrase is, there is a man. Right now, think about it. Right now, there is a man in heaven. There is a man in heaven who is for us our perfect advocate, our lawyer. He's interceding in prayers for believers. She doesn't know very much. She knows a little about who Daniel is. She talks about the spirit of the gods is in Daniel. Well, she's correct in that Daniel has a knowledge, but not from the spirit of the gods. But she sees in Daniel, she doesn't know exactly. She's just kind of seeing uh, dimly. But she sees in Daniel something unusual. She sees the same thing that Pharaoh saw in Joseph. And he recognized Pharaoh didn't know everything, but Pharaoh could see there is another spirit in this man, Daniel, the queen mother saw. There's another spirit inside this man, Joseph. Pharaoh said in Genesis 41, 38, Genesis 41, 38, Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? This is what makes a Christian a Christian. A Christian, it's not his good deeds, but his life that shows the Spirit of God is inside of him. Romans 8.14, Romans 8.14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. Romans 8.9, Romans 8.9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.